It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia! A quick friendly reminder. Oh, wait, I think I forgot this one. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends, and today's host, Nick, and with me is Tom and KJ. Additionally, joining us as a guest this week is Doug. Thanks for joining us today. If you've been listening to us for a bit, you'll know that Doug has been on a lot of episodes. In fact, Doug is in the running for one of our coveted trivia awards for most frequent guests. Fingers crossed for Doug on next week's the second annual Trivial Awards episode. Hey, Doug, do you still like movies? Well, after this one, I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> I think I can understand where you're coming from there, but I'm going to assume you still will like movies going forward. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we followed up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today we are going back to this month at the time of this recording to December 2021. Keanu Reeves is on a tear with his John Wick movie series, Bill and Ted's Face the Music, and his role in Cyberpunk 2077. During all of this, Lana Wachowski's movie The Matrix Resurrections is released in theaters as well as on HBO. Other movies coming out at this time include A Nightmare on Elm Street, Sing 2, Spider-Man No Way Home, and Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Nick will be quizzing us today. Nick, what is The Matrix Resurrections all about? The Matrix isn't a movie or a means to control the human race as an energy producing resource. It's an award-winning video game trilogy created by an aging and balding Tom Anderson. Or is it? Okay, it's not. We find out Neo and Trinity, AKA Tiff, aren't dead and are super powerful with the ability to stabilize the new Matrix for some reason when in close proximity. But that's not good enough. Lines and allegiances seem to be blurred between humanity and the machines. Excuse me, synthians. But Neo and Trinity need to be freed, says the crew of One Hovercraft. But let's not forget Neil Patrick Harris. What a delight. Tom, if you only had one word to describe the Matrix Resurrections, what would it be? Story. KJ? Simulate. Doug? Tiffany. Allow me to sum up our goal in a single word. Bullet time! Bullet time! Uh, that's, that's two words. We need a new bullet time. It's time for question one. What made Matrix different? I'm looking for a very specific answer that was referenced at least two times in the movie. Locked in? I, I don't think I got it, but I'll... Locked in. Luckily, it's only a one point. I have no idea. <laughs> Is anyone confident? I'm not, no. I don't, I'm not confident that I'm going to get a point, but I, I'm, I'm very confident in my answer. Okay, then I won't give a, uh, um, a clue then. But okay, so we'll just continue. Doug. Bullet time. It's <laughs> a good guess, actually. <laughs> KJ. Okay. I don't think this is what you're looking for, but 
exits can be doors or mirrors as opposed to a landline. That's the one difference between this matrix and the previous version. Bots can be anyone. They don't need to turn into an agent. Uh, I was a little confused there if they were preset or how that worked. I don't know. Um, the operator can communicate with anyone anytime. It looked like they needed an earpiece. I wasn't sure. He could also be visually there, maybe just for the audience, maybe just for the I don't know. It was a little confusing. Um, Neil Patrick Harris also boasted that uh, no one tried to escape their pod because of how well um, he was messing with them and that made them uh, more likely to stay put. And he had the best energy output ever for any matrix or battery generation going. That is what made Matrix different. That's a lot of good information. Tom? I'm going to say the fact that people were put into a state of unfulfilled desire. They were constantly in a state of wanting something, but it was never actually acquired. And that Trinity and Neo kind of sat at the top of that <laughs> uh, unfulfilled desire hierarchy. And that's what made uh, Neil Patrick Harris's Matrix it's different. Okay. I, I like to remind everyone this was a one point question and you guys went really deep. So this could be a flaw in my question design. But if you notice, I said what made Matrix different, not what made the Matrix different. This was a direct mm -hmm. question that occurred when they were brainstorming about a fourth Matrix oh, video game. God, that scene. Dun, yes. Oh, and that and scene the answer, there. <laughs> No one will receive any points, but it was it was an annoying sequence, but I thought it would have been stuck in your head. They go, he says, what made Matrix different? It effed with your head. It, and they get they kept repeating that, and then it mm, get into your yeah. gray space. If you gave me head, gray space, if you gave me any of that stuff, you would have gotten the points. <laughs> but you guys went right into the deep end here. So um, unfortunately, no points. Uh, you guys went way too deep on this one. I was supposed to be very surface. <laughs> So when, when you asked the question, that, that was the scene I was thinking of, but I had erased the whole thing from my memory. So You were closest. <laughs> you, were, you were at least in the right mm -hmm. part of the movie with the yeah. bullet time. Yeah, I thought oh. you were talking about the game part, but mm -hmm. I remembered nothing from that sequence. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of anything succinct enough to... They repeated that specific at least twice. That's why I... Yeah, they yeah they say it's like it's... It, 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 it revolutionized games. Um, blah, blah. I like my games stupid and loud. Got the whole thing. And the Warner Brothers reference at the beginning of that, where he's talking to George III and he's talking about like um, the, the uh, parent company, Warner Brothers, is going to make us make this. And the, the just the like... Lana Wachowski's self-indulgence. Like, this is my life. It's dealing with these fanboys all the time and parent companies every day. And I just, it's just so hard being me, you know? It, it felt like, <laughs> it felt completely, completely self-involved in a way that I, I just wanted to throw something at the computer, but it's a nice computer, so I didn't. It, it felt to me like somebody won a contest and got to write a scene. <laughs> and this is the end result of that. Yeah. <laughs> right along those lines, and, and now we can go a little deeper uh, right off the bat. 
one of the topics, the re I, I actually try to give you guys a little heads up on some of the topics before. And the one for this question was, ideas are the new sexy. And that was one of the lines in that dialogue. That is true on some level, but does this movie deliver? Why or why not? I, I will say, I think the movie is intellectually more consistent than the original Matrix. As a, in, in that way, it works a little better than the original Matrix. It is not entertaining at all. So as a piece of entertainment, I think it, it kind of falls apart. But in terms of this idea of narrative being the general motivator of people, and that's what people need, they need this kind of conflicting narrative to live off of, the movie really brought that forward, that we live in a narrative that we are willing to subscribe to. That's what this movie is about more than the first one, which is um, not really doing that kind of work. And so I do think the movie had these kind of deeper ideas. Uh, however, the kind of meta text with this scene and with a, a lot of the work is really, really tiring to watch. It feels self-indulgent in the way the first one, even though I'm not the biggest fan of the first one, it feels self-indulgent in the way the first one didn't. I'm, I'm going to disagree. I think Neil Patrick Harris was incredibly entertaining, and I wish this movie was a musical because I think I, it would have improved yeah. it greatly. <laughs> I think I think he was entertaining, and I, I'm going to say this because I'm, I'm going to get in trouble saying this. I like new Morpheus more than old Morpheus. I really like what he I did agree with you character. on your first sentiment, not your second sentiment. Yeah. I, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, as you probably heard in my plot summary, the little shout out, he was a saving grace in this movie for me. I did enjoy every one of his scenes. New Morpheus was was great. Um, but did you guys see the new Cinderella movie from Amazon Prime? No, with uh, Camilla. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you like new Morpheus, um, check out the the fairy godmother in that movie because oh, he is great. Uh, and I, I, I think mm -hmm. if I hadn't seen that, th this felt like a, a, a watered down version of that. Um, oh, okay. but, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I don't want to make it sound like I hated his portrayal or anything like that. I just, the original Morpheus is. The, well, the, the character has nothing to do in the movie. He's barely part of the plot, right? He feels like a, he feels kind of uselessly thrown in. Morpheus there. one or more or new Morpheus? Neomorphia. Neomorphia, yeah. Yeah, Neomorphia. Neomorphia, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I, what I liked about him is I love how, like, boozy he was. Like, the, like in the old Morpheus, he's wearing his, his, was it a G? And it's very tight and well, and well buttoned up. And this guy, when he goes to do Kung Fu, it's kind of open. He's drinking a martini beforehand. I loved his yellow pimp suit that he wears in that in that one scene in the bathroom. And I like the blue shirt too. I understand in 10 years is gonna be completely out of date stylistically, but I would wear that blue shirt he wears in that one scene. Um, I like when he takes the red pill and he's kind of, he plays it like he's getting high. Uh, it was really kind of a very funny and very um, original take on that archetype. I felt like everybody in this movie was having a lot of fun making the movie, but they didn't want to make this movie. Right. Every day they're like, well, at least we have each other, right? Like hanging out. I, I, I feel like the Wachowskis didn't want to make it. Hence why one of them didn't. Very meta in this movie, right? It was also put together in a relatively short time frame, I think. I think it was like 2019 when the idea first came to her. So two years. During a pandemic? Uh, before the, well, before oh, the pandemic. Wow. Or 
No, but what I mean is they had to put this together <laughs> during a pandemic. Yeah, so I think I think they started filming before the pandemic started started shutting things down. Oh, okay. Um, and then, and she actually considered uh, just like dropping the whole thing and leaving it an unfinished movie. So that would be crazy. And Nick, going back to your meta idea, it's a two and a half hour movie, roughly. But if you took out the footage from the original, I don't know if it's more than an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for question two. The analyst played by Neil Patrick Harris is the next generation architect of sorts. What color eyewear does he prefer? Locked in. Locked in? Maybe I shouldn't have been so confident. Locked in, I guess. Okay, Doug, start it up. I have no idea, so I am going to guess blue for the blue pill. KJ. Well, his glasses were blue-framed clear lenses. He was one of the few people with clear lenses in the movie. But once they start talking like adults, he removes the glasses. He throws them away. Um, So my answer is going to be he prefers blue thank you for getting <laughs> all the way back there <laughs> Tom? I, I had the same thing yeah um uh, or we could say none uh, but i well if it's perf- if, if it's preference he prefers none because he says i hate lying and then he throws the glasses away however they're blue that's the point <laughs> everyone's gonna get a point we're gonna stick with blue <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> but this all leads right into the topic. We're talking psychology. What did he think? But really what I want to know is how did uh, psychology affect this film? Because I think it was a major part of it. So let me know your thoughts on psychology. In this case, Neil Patrick Harris's character used it to control people by analysis. I think he was... Yeah, using it as as like, well, I wouldn't even say he was controlling Neo with it. I think it was just a plot device to get us to ha- to introduce a villain and then have a reason why Neo was stuck in the Matrix. So can, can we, do, do you mind, Nick, if you actually rehash what the plan was with regard to having, so he's in the Matrix, he being Neo, for what reason again? He is the new version of the architect. They call him the analyst. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I, I understand that. The other, the architect was more about order and facts and rules, where he says he's more into fiction. People focus more on that. And right. I don't want to go into it because we're going to talk about it a little bit later. Sure. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. But he's using more of this psychoanalysis approach to seeing what people tick and which will keep them yeah, it's, it's intent and thriving in the matrix, which KJ, I believe you were talking before in that big ramble on the first question about how it made them more productive batteries pretty much. Right, right. Because he understood humans and that if we're kind of stressed out and we, uh, we desire to have more and we fear what we lose to have, we will be our most productive. Yeah. That was the social commentary mm-hmm. this movie was trying to make about the world today. Yeah. Yeah, that make, that makes sense. Is the this idea of um, this again? It gets back to my word, the, the story, the right, the idea of story, and that's what his the analysis the analyst is doing. He's trying to um, use people's stories to to kind of generate energy 
through distress, right? He kind of gets that people are, are narrative creatures. However, he sees the narratives as generally distressing or can lead someone to be in a state of distress, like you're saying, KJ. Yeah, the specific example he used was nightmares, mm -hmm. right? When you're having a nightmare, you're outputting tons of energy trying to deal with this horrific personal thing. And that's where he's making the, making the, making the energy, yeah. the, the kilowatts to power the machines. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, right, there's like therapy sessions, kind of. They're more like buzzword therapy sessions. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Neil, again, Neil Patrick Harris kills it. Like, it's great every time he says the word trigger or the other <laughs> ones. Like, it's, yeah. it's He's a memorable part of this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but do you think it carried through? After that, do you think he did use uh, psychological approaches after that? No, it was mostly in the beginning, but he's explaining the psychological approaches to the design of the Matrix later in the film. But where we actually see it, I mean, it's quite obvious. Here is your new prescription of all blue pills. I mean, like this mm -hmm. was laid on thick. And even when there's that episode at the office where everything gets shot up to pieces, we don't see the transition. All of a sudden, he's back in the therapist's office. So mm -hmm. you're crazy. We go back to the office, nothing's there. So a lot of that was really front-weighted in the film, but they mm -hmm. do explain the reason of the psychology later in the film later when he's on. on his quest to find or get Trinity out of the Matrix. Mm -hmm. Right. I guess you could say he makes the comment of like psychology as a sort of making you good to get along, right? You're supposed to go and go with the flow, go with the system, go with society. And we have this thing there that makes you acceptable to the world that needs you, right? That needs you to be, you know, in, in a certain way. And that psychology itself becomes a kind of means of, of control, um, you know, once it's in the service of this, this sort of, uh, productive capacity it makes neo into a person who can produce a very expensive video game and then be healthy enough to produce another one you know or more importantly be mentally stable enough to be within the vicinity of trinity without approaching trinity right that's yeah. neil patrick harris's goal and that's that's sort of yeah and that's that's also the this idea of of creating something somebody wants but never really fulfills them Right, which is kind of the video game, which is kind of, you know, that type of thing. Uh, he's making that, he being Neo or Thomas Anderson is making that for the world. And he is perpetually in a state of that. He's, he's constantly in a state of unfulfilled desire. You know, I was really hoping when we saw Neil Patrick Harris's notebook, it was going to be the drawing from World on a Wire um, with the, the Spartan and the turtle. Oh, yeah, it was Zeno's paradox. Zeno's yeah. paradox. Right, because that, that's kind of what you're saying, Tom. Is And what Neil Patrick Harris was saying was, you need to fear what you're losing, but have the desire to keep going. So you need to be in a state of, I want to get there, but you never get there. That's how you get the maximum yeah, okay, okay, and, yeah, yeah. and output of a person. Did you see that first guy that the agent went into? That was Christopher Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> this is a movie Doug hasn't seen. Which, which Please react to these comments, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> On a movie which is why see. Doug doesn't find it hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, so one thing I just, just occurred to me is that um, his employee or coworker, Jude, um, so he's a handler program oh, yeah. working for the analyst. 
but he's the one who actually introduces Neo to Trinity or Thomas to Tiffany. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if the goal of the analyst was to keep them close, but never like actually too close, like not touching each other or speaking to each other, then it's weird that his program is, you know, going to push them closer because it could, you know, it could have like, you go one way or the other, like they could start a relationship or, you know, as in what, what happened, he finds out she's got kids and, and a husband and like that, that could also backfire and cause him to shut down and, you know, go in the other direction. So anyway, I just, just thought of that. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, going back to the psychology thing, I, I think, I don't know, it's just, uh, I, I feel like it's it's used to just to stay close and to, you know, to try to, to guide him and know what he's thinking. Although, you know, if he's plugged into the Matrix, doesn't, like, don't they know what he's thinking anyway, right? I don't know, just... <laughs> Like, why, why do these things have to be, mm-hmm. like, you know, realized uh, or, like, like sim, uh, like physically simulated or digitally simulated, rather? Mm-hmm. I think they only have so much sway because he mentioned that by putting him this in the state, nobody is popping out of it, if you will, because he found the perfect amount of stress and anxiety to keep them motivated, but also not to have them reject the matrix. Cause in the old system, cause they were trying, if you remember in the first movie, they said the first matrix was a utopia, but everyone rejected it and, and massive crops were lost. So he thinks by tinkering using psychology, psychology is a form of manipulation. And I'm not saying just on Neo or Trinity, but in society as a whole, but you're right. There's only so much they can do to physically change they almost can guide them but it, it, it there is a little bit of a gray area there of how much direction and how much control they have while still within that system yeah i still know why um that doug you're a good point why they introduced tiff and thomas um well if if they're if they know what neo is thinking right there's there's an arc right meeting people and knowing people in a relationship is a movement not a moment to uh, quote Hamilton terribly. Um, So I wonder if they noticed that he needed something, right? Neo needed something. So they used the handler to introduce those on their terms. And like you were saying, Doug, now Neo understands that uh, Trinity has kids and a life. So he'll hesitate more, but that may have bought them years of him going to the coffee shop and longing, even like because he took a small step without actually pursuing a relationship. Because don't forget, he is mentally unstable in their frame, if you will. He did try to walk off a building before and they kind of stopped him in the act. And here he's at another, I guess, depressive state. So just, I think KJ's saying they're almost giving him like a little bit of hope, but not enough. <laughs> just right, to, exactly. You want yeah. to keep yeah. edging him forward. I don't think they stopped him. So Neo normally looked like Keanu Reeves, but every so often he looked like somebody else. Um, pretty often, actually. Um, and in the scene where he's walking off, he looks like a bald guy. But that bald guy is not who Keanu Reeves looks like in the current version of The Matrix. The bald guy is the one that Bugs was in, and she said he successfully walked off and was standing on air. So I think Neil Patrick Harris had to reset The Matrix again at that point because Neo was woke, was awakened. 
I, I, yeah, no, but I, I thought that was true too. I thought he had successfully flew or levitated, whatever yeah. you call it, and that yep. that had been erased somehow. Right. I don't, know if, I don't know if it's rebooting the Matrix, but somehow that was set either zero. rebooting yeah. or Neil Patrick Harris used his new rewind ability. Yes, yeah. he went back possibly because the video games company still existed anyway. But well, but that is the Matrix, right? They always go back to a point in time, and they he rebuilds that game. But you're right? saying there's, been... a, there's a different skin. Yeah, his current skin was a long-haired gray guy with an eye patch. And this other, skin I don't know why he had an eye patch. He had two perfectly good eyes. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think Jude's going to come up again in this episode. So I wanted to just mention his story went unresolved. The last time we see him is on Facetime. Uh, Neo calls him or he calls Neo and he's with all the FBI agents. I kept waiting for him to come back at the end as either oh, yeah. the final villain or, or something. But Sorry. what happened to Jude? I mean, there were hey, too Jude, many, like, there were, what are you doing? <laughs> there were too many characters, period. Don't be afraid. <laughs> but really, there were too many characters. They could even in a two and a half hour movie, they couldn't properly give each one screen time or a background or a resolution. I mean, cut them. Take a sad song. Make it better. Make it better. <laughs> We're gonna get freaking copyrights today. Bullet time. <laughs> after round, after round one, we have a tie game at one point apiece. We'll see what happens in round two when we're back right after these brief messages from one of our valued sponsors. Have an idea for an ad? Is it a fake product? We'll air it. Send us an audio clip of your fake ad, and after it goes through our rigorous and strict reviewing process, we'll fit it into an episode. Don't have an idea for an ad? Make one anyway and send it to fakeads at talkingpicturestrivia.com or call 201-467-8679 and leave a voicemail of your ad. You'd sound really good on radio. This ad requesting fake ads is a real ad requesting you to send us fake ads. Seriously, send us your fake ads. And we're back. We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask the guest a key question. Doug, if you could watch The Matrix Resurrections with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I think I'd have to go with NPH, Neil Patrick Harris, <laughs> just because... Uh, well, he is the analyst, so <laughs> he should have uh, some insight into the movie. But I think it would be fun. I would say maybe a close second would be Jonathan Groff, uh, who plays uh, the version of Agent Smith, because I enjoy his work. And I, I, I enjoyed his, uh, his performance, too. I wonder if Neil Patrick Harris would be like, I'm great. The rest of the movie's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he's a lot of fun. I, I dated a girl for a while who um, she used to do, she did a cabaret that he went to. And so she did a whole like song and dance number on his lap. He was just in the audience and she went up on his lap. Apparently he's a, he's a very nice and fun time guy. I thought you were going to say I dated Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't hear that one. <laughs> Would you be surprised, honestly? No, I didn't. Jim Earl Jones. I didn't. <laughs> the, the time you randomly ran into James Earl Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like I dated James Earl Jones. <laughs> one of my favorite relationships was Tom Lee. <laughs> no, he, he was a standout in this in this film. I, I did like Goff. I, I and I liked the new Morpheus too, who I thought I just thought he was very funny. Uh, Goff was also 
made me Groff, laugh a few Groff, times. Groff, I think. There's an R. Groff? Is it G-R-O? Yeah. Okay. The R's. It goes back to the R's. It also felt it's very... Mine Hunter, right? Yeah. yeah. Mine Hunter and King King George III in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It also felt, felt very forced, though, in this film when they would just like insert these characters. Am I the only one who felt that way? Yeah, well, Morpheus was useless. So yeah, but I, even I don't think Smith is like, I'm Smith again. You woke me yeah, up and then I'm gone. I, I, I'm okay, sorry, we're I, li- can, allies again, but not can anymore. I ask, can I ask a question? What were they fighting about in the scene where they were fighting Smith and the French guy? What was that a fight over? To survive? I couldn't, I, I, did not because get Trinity because like, it disrupted what they were trying to do? But... But, but the, then he helps him get Trinity at the end. Yeah. I don't well, get the, it. I, I think, I, why were they fighting? Yeah. I think the Merovingian wanted revenge because because they know, were exiled. Life. Yeah, he was. Mm-hmm. Well, wasn't he? I thought he was like an exile, or he was like a rogue program earlier on. But mm-hmm. whatever yeah, they were happened, exiled in this new version yeah, of the Matrix. So he lost. You know, he lost power, and mm-hmm. he just became like a homeless guy. That, that was actually pretty, that whole thing was disappointing because he didn't actually do anything. He just yelled curses at them from the background yeah. the whole time. <laughs> the whole and then, thing was, that was a whole weird right? sequence. <laughs> but that was wow. another one. Somebody won a contest. They're like, all right, here's what it'll look like. Here's how I want them to fight. But even those yeah. other exile people, I was trying to like recall if they were people we had met before, but they weren't. Were they supposed to be the ghosts? They weren't the ghosts though. No, right? They were just, they, they it seemed like there were random people. I, I kept thinking back to like Bill and Ted, like Genghis Khan and like all these random historical warriors because they didn't look like, I don't know, <laughs> modern. Nothing we were introduced to before. Yeah, that was a whole weird sequence. But I, but I, I still don't understand. Why was Smith fighting? Well, right, here's, I've had- What was the plot? Okay. What, what was the actual plot before before the headcanon? Oh, before that. So he said- um, he thought uh, Neil was back to kill the analyst. And he said, no, I'm going to kill the analyst. I don't want the leash on me again. And he was like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to kill the analyst. I'm just here for Trinity. And he goes, that interferes with what I'm trying to do, which like everybody's pointing doesn't out. Make doesn't make any sense. Right. No, it doesn't. Make okay. Any sense. So headcanon. Yeah. Headcanon. So we have this new Morpheus who isn't just Morpheus, right? He's Morpheus plus Smith. Smith. Yeah. Right. He's both. So. The point of this scene, I thought we were going to get to see Smith versus Morpheus again, right? A rematch there. Mm-hmm. But that happened, but it didn't get any emphasis. It could have been anybody or Smith versus Smith. I was like, oh, what an opportunity here. Yeah. But they just did, you know, you couldn't Never. even tell they were fighting. Like it wasn't highlighted. It wasn't emphasized. It was the mm-hmm. same as it was a mess any of the other fighters yeah oh yeah the choreography in this it was a mess. movie was mm-hmm. awful you never knew what was yeah let's move on it's time for question three how did neo's actions in the original narrative change the real world the most locked in locked in locked in with the answer i think you want to hear that's usually a good way to go about it. Wait, I'm Can you also questions. tell us the answer you want to say? <laughs> well, I could, but I haven't figured that out. <laughs> ah, I got that one figured out too. Yep. Let's start off with what I want to hear. <laughs> okay. The, the answer I'm going with what you want to hear is that uh, man and machine are living together, generating strawberries. He um, influenced the machines to make peace and 
this kind of thing. But well, oh no, you said in the real world. Never mind. I was gonna say the most influential on this movie was how they kept cutting to the old movies or displaying them to the other characters in the movies just to make sure I don't know that we remembered the old. Well, yeah, I don't know. Um, so man and machine living together in harmony. Doug. Uh, so I was going to say something similar uh, with the coexistence of men and, but some of the machines, it's not, it's not all of them. Uh, so some of them, I think they call them the sentience or, or something um, chose to ally with them, but it's not, it's not all the machines that are uh, in harmony with the humans. That's why they still have to hide um, IO AKA the new Zion. Tom. Uh, they specifically say, I think Naomi specifically says, uh, you changed what is defined as our side, meaning that some of the machines are on our side and, and some of them are not. Um, Everyone's getting two points. The phrase was the changing of the meaning of our side. It wasn't uh, Nairobi. It was the captain of that Oh ship which i'm blanking on her name right now the one bugs bugs, bugs as yeah. in bunny yes as in bunny yeah she's the one who i says liked her it. a lot too yeah she was great yeah she was great and had great eyeglasses i have to say i'm gonna another thing that's gonna be getting in trouble i think the fashion in this movie is better than the original what that's yeah. not I, so true. you're probably right but it wasn't cool the original no, it's, was it's, cool it seemed like counterfeit matrix Yes. Like when they walked Somebody in, when all the won. agents were oh, there and the police were there and they walked in, it looked like you were watching the B-Squad. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm talking about the glasses. The new glasses look good. I liked her, um, Bugs' outfits much better than I liked Trinity's outfits. I love New Morpheus's, uh, New Morpheus's clothes, the kind of flush of color in there. Um, I, I kind of liked it a little more than the blank leather well the good news is that's not the reason i brought up this topic to talk about fashion <laughs> okay it's the fashion of the machines tom did you like the blue some of this we already went into but we've talked about a lot of the ideas psychology but i really want to talk about and even though we just said this in the guest question a little bit the antagonists and obstacles we've already dove a little bit into were these really obstacles or what's going on but anything in that area, because th just like I mentioned when we had the question with Doug there in, in the follow-ups, there were a lot of characters thrown into this thing. And even though it was a, almost a two and a half hour runtime movie, did we need all of them? Uh, did we need to turn it into a zombie film with swarms? I mean, <laughs> let's talk about this a little bit. That third act was terrible. A low-lit, boring zombie movie where we didn't know where our our protagonists were trying to go right quick get on the motorcycle where where are you going what where were neo and trinity trying to go they did not establish right the exits in this movie were a little strange to begin with right doors at first it mirrors. was doors and mirrors yeah, yeah. and then it was anytime bugs need to come in and out they could kind of do it um especially during the brain <laughs> transplant or whatever that was. Uh, but where were Neo and Trinity trying to go? Why were they running? Where did they expect to go that the swarm was not going to be? It it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Didn't they just need to find a mirror? I mean... Why didn't they carry him with them? Mirrors are one of the things since... There were lots of doors around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Buildings. I think doors are a way to get around 
in the matrix, but not out of the matrix. Wasn't the mirror the only way to get out? I don't know. <laughs> I, I could have sworn there was some scene where a character like jumped off a building and got transported like midair. That was another one. Certainly Morpheus got out of the matrix that way. And then it was unclear if bugs also did that or Morpheus was in the modal. That's true. That was a modal. That wasn't the matrix. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was confused by what the motivation was for quite a lot of the Smurfy. Wait, Tom, you didn't understand why that guy got out of bed with his, I don't know, girlfriend, one night stand, whatever it was, and then just dove out the window. Yeah, well, that was the <laughs> like swarm effect, right? I got that. So I, I got to say, I didn't like oh that. The, the suicide No, it was thing. horrible. Yeah, I, no. I don't know. I found it almost distasteful, which is not normally, I'm like <laughs> the last person to find something distasteful. And I, I did find that a little... Just people randomly. Yeah, by by the dozens. Um, yeah, I, I, they called them bombs, but they were not bombs. They were just yeah, and they didn't they yeah, didn't exactly. slap. It, it was, was like they turned into computer programs. They didn't have that kind of graphic, um, which is a good thing, I think. But still, I I wasn't particularly. I did not like that sequence. But I think the the conflicts in this movie are explained when I think it's Neo talking to New Smith. Um, Groff yeah. is what we said his name was. Yeah, um, Jonathan Groff. Jonathan Groff. The, the scene, Tom, that you're saying, why were they fighting, right? Before that, they're talking and they kind of agree. All right, well, we don't really have anything. Wait, wait, conflict. That's why we're fighting. Conflict. That's why we have motivation in this movie. Conflict. Like they use the word literally conflict, even if there's not conflict. They're just like, well, just as the audience <laughs> knows, like we had some set pieces we want to put together conflict is the reason we're yeah doing it. i i mean i one of the reasons i almost started rewatching it was i couldn't figure out why certain things were happening in the movie and i thought i must have just missed some dialogue or something. you didn't yeah. miss it you didn't miss it yeah i know that's a good point just too many things too many that's why i brought this up antagonists and obstacles there were just too many things and they didn't tie in together or get resolved. Not, I mean, some did, but I'm saying. And do they, in the end, want to free everyone or make the world a better place? They're not. We'll figure out when they're done flying around making the sky rainbows. What, yeah. What was the was weird? What's the yeah? All right, all right. Let's take let's let's let's. All right, ready? Here's here's okay. what I've gathered from this movie. Okay. So there's Neo still says, one more question hey. too. Don't forget. Okay. Okay. I'll go quick. Neo says, hey, machines, let's make peace. The machines kill Neo and say, oh, you know what? That was a good idea. But to make peace, they need to free the humans. Now they don't have a battery source. So then they start losing energy. They start fighting each other. That's when you get machines that are still human supportive mm -hmm. and not human supportive. So it's kind of like predators need prey, right? Like lions can't live without mm -hmm. eating zebras. So I'm, I think that's the conflict of them. Right. So I, that that is actually explained. What I don't understand is what is Neo in his getting of Trinity planning to do once he gets... What's the point of getting Trinity other than... He's, the, to but love the, this was a love story, Tom. This whole movie was a. It's this a is a romance. Story. But then they're going to fly around and do what? Right? Like there's this. There's this. Make this guy into rainbows. There's this notion that like 
in the in the initial trilogy, the reason why you want to free Neo and why she falls in love with him is it's part of a prophecy for liberation. Right? They're going to liberate the you know the the Babylonian captives, um, and that's how the third one I think ends. I don't I don't even remember if I saw the third one. I I think it's the writers didn't know. That's why they even say you know it was easier before when everybody wanted to be free. And now it's just confusing. <laughs> like, I think they admitted in the movie, like, yeah, mm-hmm. this doesn't make sense. But Warner Brothers was forcing us to make a sequel, right? That was what that scene was about, too, was they mm-hmm. said they'll make it without us. We didn't want that. Uh, <laughs> so right. we threw this together. But you're almost like in on the joke. <laughs> yeah, because they, they exploded <laughs> through dialogue. In the movie. It's crazy. <laughs> We're going to tell it out loud. <laughs> The only thing that I can try to grasp that straws here is the people, there was, a, there was a little bit of a threat, especially with Trinity, that they have to want to be free. So what I can really stretch here is that they're going to make changes into Matrix so that people are aware that this is not the right way and they want to be free. But again, I'm really stretching here. Mm-hmm. Not everyone wants to be free. No, I, I mean, I, I that's that's fine. Nobody, I don't think anybody says that in the movie, but you know, that's as good a reading as I could make. It's time for question four. What are the two components making up the definition of reality? Someone's already said it. Locked in. I guess I'm locked in. I honestly don't remember. There are two phrases. Mm -hmm. So either one of these two phrases that explain the definition of reality. I'll give one hint, because I already gave a really big hint. It's one of the revelations from The Analyst. I mean, I have an answer. I just don't, I'm trying to think if that's, um, I'll, I'll lock in, it's, I, I have to go. Uh, I, it, like, the two components of reality, it was like, um, it's a, desire and anxiety, something like that. Doug? I was going to say hope and fear, but I think after hearing Tom say anxiety, I think anxiety would have been the better choice for the second one. But yeah, Mm -hmm. hope and fear was what I was thinking. KJ? This was one of my favorite scenes in the movie, if we're going to have favorite scenes, when Neil Patrick Harris um it, it lets the bullet fly towards trinity and he's like holding the apple and it's like slowly getting there and he's having a lot of fun um and he says for 99.9% of humans of humanity of people stuck in the matrix it's desire and fear i believe are the two words he uses um that define reality kj will be receiving the full two points tom and doug will each get one point because they were halfway there but not good enough kj will take down this episode there are two phrases that would have been acceptable kj got the correct one of desire and fear but the full phrase was that they're quietly yearning for what you don't have while dreading losing what you do desire and fear baby oh i almost said desire and dread yes so kj congratulations for taking this one down everyone was very close you were in the right mindset But the reason I brought this one up to really conclude the main questions here is the topic I had was the ones question mark. Is this Trinity's movie or who is the one? 
are they a dyad like in the force uh thoughts please what i really liked about this scene was uh neil patrick harris talks about desire which is a big part of buddhism right desire and um well i i I really shouldn't be commenting on on buddhism to be honest but it was interesting that desire and then fear was the other piece of that i had never considered that fear specifically of losing things right that's a big theme in dune i don't know if everybody's seen Mm -hmm. dune i haven't uh the new one but that's a big (laughs) theme in dune um and you know that's the the carrot and the stick i guess but it's it's a weird a weird way to, to describe the carrot and the stick is desire and fear so if if this movie left me with anything to ponder about later I think it's this idea of desire and fear is it, are those either good motivators? Are they healthy motivators? Are they what is going to motivate me in the future? I don't think the analyst cares if it's good. He just cares that it's effective to get the most out of the energy sources, which are humans. True, true. We have a very yeah. Monsters Inc. thing going on. Yep. But it, if you cease to, the, the idea, I guess, is desire and fear connected. Right? If you desire something, you fear the absence of it, or you fear not getting it. And if you are able to not give in to desire or distance yourself from desire, you're then distancing yourself from the world itself, distancing yourself from the world. So, you know, the world is suffering because of desire. You could give up desire and therefore you could give up the world. So there's a sort of... Um, for these characters, once they can stop desiring something, they can escape the matrix. However, that doesn't work because you have to, to Trinity has to desire Neo to want to free herself from the matrix. So it, like it already, it doesn't even work within the context of, of the film itself. And it's me. Um, I, I would say um, you'd have to have, sorry, you'd have to have a lot of desire to want, to want to know the truth mm-hmm. that, if you want to get out of the matrix so mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's not a sacrifice of desire it's the right type of desire possibly well we're talking about the control elements here or what reality is but i did want to focus on who is the one in this film like that's one of the key things i wanted to wrap this up with is this trinity is it neo or is the combination that's why i was making the joke about the dyad in the force from the recent Star Wars uh, trilogy. Yeah, so the one in the original trilogy has a particular goal, right? The, the one is someone who's going to liberate. It's a messianic figure. That, do I have that correct in the original trilogy? So for the sure, one, for yeah, sure. Yeah, so, so the one is defined by the function that the one is going to, and the, the one can do certain things that indicate he is the one, like bullet time and flying and, uh, you know, the, things like that um how would trinity be the one in this case what is the function of her my personal thought is that they both are the one because the combination of the two of them in proximity creates great power not only for the machines but between the two of them that's when they actually can unleash their true potential especially in this film not so much in the original trilogy to do what well from a Synthian perspective, because they're in close proximity, they're creating the perfect amount of energy for the society. But when it comes to unlocking their powers, it's when they're 
clasping hands. If you remember, then they're able to dispel but, all their enemies. They can start flying again. They get all of their abilities but, back. But they're not messianic figures anymore. So the, the concept of the one itself seems to be going going away, right? I, I don't know. I don't know. But but needless to say, they seem to be a, 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 a tag team duo here on the journey versus one mm. being all the attention. I actually thought they put a lot more attention on Trinity in this film than they did Neo. She's really only in it in the third act. <laughs> yeah. She, she gotta... No, I don't mean screen time. I just mean she was like the key to him figuring out who he was to unlock her abilities. I mean, again, it, this very weak plot. Okay? Yeah, well, but that was true in the original trilogy too, especially the first movie, right? She actually resurrects him in the first movie. He dies. She says, I love you. He comes back. So she's always the key um, to, to the plot. But even in the end sequence with Neil Patrick Harris, the analyst, she's front and center on that stage. He's behind her. Yeah, and she's she the gets one the who learns ability. how to he fly. Doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, she actually seems to be the stronger figure by the end of this film. Yeah, I, 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 I gotta go with Tommy. I don't know if it, if it matters, right? I, they kind of seem like either. they're north and south on a magnetic pole, or right, the magnet doesn't work unless you have north and south or something like this. But like Tom says, this movie doesn't have a goal. There's no. No, I get that. All I'm saying <laughs> is, in the first one, it felt like she was Neo support. Where here, it seemed more symbiotic. Yeah, I, I would say she seems as powerful as Neo. They seem to clearly be making that that point. My my contention is with using the term the one. The I'm one just, just using that as a conjecture yeah, here because yeah, that, the, all the our focus was specific, on yeah. Neo in the first one, where it's split a little bit here as the. Mm -hmm. I don't know, saviors, if that's what they're supposed to be anymore. I, I, your guess is uh, yeah. as good as mine. Mm -hmm. They split the powers, my point, in my opinion. <laughs> I think, yeah, I agree. I think they're equal, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't think the, I think the one is all about the prophecy and I don't think the prophecy really comes into play so much in this movie. I think it's more, more focused on just the, you know, on, on the power and then changing things, but not, you know, predestination. Except for that one part where she has the um, the dream about um, about what happens going forward, which is goes back to Neo's dream about her dying True. in uh, what was it Reloaded or I think the second one was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I forget, but you're right. That's another power that's split between them, right? She gets flying. She gets the premonition dreams. He gets new shield, like upgraded shield. Upgraded yeah. shield, yeah. <laughs> and he does fly at the end, right? Yes. Oh, he does, he does. He gets, that's yes, right, that's at the true. End. Yep. But she okay. seems to be the one getting the powers back quicker. Again, I, I just felt, forget the one label. Mm -hmm. They seem to feed off each other versus supporting yeah. the one. Yeah, that, that that concept has kind of gone by the wayside. Um, I'm still curious as to what this movie defines as liberation. Yes, we all are. There literally is a line where the analyst is saying not everyone wants to be out of the Matrix. So it, it's one yeah, of those... Yeah, and they're going to make it better for them. <sighs> That's what they say, right? I mean, they, they, that's, they literally say that. 
yeah, but it's it's it's, like that, it's yeah. very mixed message. I I guess the idea is like some this world is more comfortable than the than Io than that that heifer world they they have. So therefore, people will be happier, and here people are more comfortable in that kind of state, and so they're going to make it more pleasant for them. See, I can't acknowledge that because it defeats the purpose of where we came from. See, I actually hold the first Matrix film in very high regard. And this, if you go down that road, like discounts all that. Like I already wrote off or, or accept, I guess, the first two sequels. But then this one comes along and it's like, what just happened? Why are we vested in this? So that that that's what kind of kills me when we go down this road. So I feel like the ending to this is, pretty similar to the ending of the first movie. And so it's almost like like a reboot where we don't have the, you know, we can kind of ignore the second two movies. And if this is the start of like a new trilogy, maybe they can come up with a better story. Although it's not off to a great start. What do you think the task is they have at hand, our new dyad? The balance between humans and the synthians. Which hasn't been achieved. It hasn't been achieved. It has because they're still squabbling between the synthians and the humans inside the matrix, outside the matrix. I think it's weak. So it's hard for me to even like talk about this because it's almost like we got to make sure the humans who want to be in the real world are happy there and the machines that want to be with the humans are happy there. But also the humans who want to be in the matrix are happy with the machines that are making them happy. It, it's a mess. The only thing I can think of is a solution would be to find an energy source good enough for the machines as good as these human batteries were. Mm -hmm. That would then keep the machines happy and then the humans and the machines could work together because right now without the human prisons, the machines don't have enough energy. That was... Yeah, it creates... But that's not the Matrix. That, like, that's like an environmental movie. Well, the only way to get rid of the matrix is to find a power source for the machines that they don't oh, need I agree with you. anymore. But I don't think they're ever going to do that. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think like, what would that be? Like they're, they're prospecting. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not discounting your logic there. Your logic is sound. It just wouldn't be a very good movie. It wouldn't be a very good movie. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta get rid of the black cloud or whatever. Mm. We knew it was us that destroyed the sky or whatever he said. Scorch yeah. these. Scorch yeah. them. Yeah, it's an odd depiction of liberation because liberation in, in this movie is um, is sort of for the elect. It's a very it's a very Calvinistic picture, isn't it? Uh, if everybody is kind of imprisoned in this world, and that's what they're supposed to be, and there's a few people who can rise above it, um, who can be elevated uh, out of this computer world there is this like little predestination <laughs> aspect shoved into this picture, right? You know, there's some people who are just elect and, and can move on and we need to, you know, make the world nice and pleasant for everybody who's not ready to be free or incapable of being free. Um, which may be somewhat Gnostic too, right? The Gnostics also have this sort of view that there's some people who have like the chip of God in them and they could be, freed from their flesh prison and, and elevate and everybody else just is sort of lesser that they're not quite connected to the godhead so there's this kind of gnostic thing to it maybe uh I, i'm being fairly generous but that's 
possibly a depiction of liberation that's consistent with the the facts of the plot i'm sticking with my analysis that it's a hot mess i'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week which is none other than kj close match here today though yeah close mm. but I got it. And I'm pretty sure the winner gets a date with Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> so I'm excited. <laughs> Rachel, like, let's <laughs> party. I, oh, no, that was Doug. That was Doug. You wanted to watch it with him. <laughs> you can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We're extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. Will the Matrix Resurrections redefine cinema for the next 10 years? No. Uh, not really, no. <laughs> but what are your thoughts? <laughs> Let us know on Twitter, TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201-467-8679. Thanks again, Doug, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, as always. Always great to have you back. I hope, I'm, really, I'm really hoping you win that award next week. What's the award? He's up for the trivies. Oh, oh, right, right, the trivies. Sorry. Yeah, most, <laughs> most, uh, most episodes on as a guest. We'll see. There's some fierce competition there. You can find me on Thomas Layman fifteen at Twitter and uh, check wait, out. Wait, 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 wait. Backwards, Tom. You're the platform, and then your handles at Twitter. You got to say it the other way around. Oh, yeah. you can find me on Twitter at Thomas Layman fifteen. And check out our sister podcast, Talking Pictures B-Side. We put out one of those at, at this point every month, probably. And I'll see you there. You can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. And I have a lot more to say about this movie. It's getting kind of late. But if you guys are up for it, I'd like to record a B-Side. And then I'd like to encourage the audience to hop over to the B-Side that normally has excellent content by Tom. But this time we might have more nitpicky, more uh, things we saw in the movie that we wanted to bring up, but we, we ran out of time um, on the B-side. So go check that out. More like movie rambling. <laughs> I can also be found on Twitter at The Nickname. Join us next time for our year in review with the Trivial Awards, where we will be handing out trivies for various categories as we wrap up season two. Ding, 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 ding. 